this morning for scripture. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 6. When the king of Syria was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, don't go near that place for the Syrians are planning to mobilize their troops there. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. And the king of Syria was enraged over this, and he called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, he tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. Well, go and find where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Syria sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside was filled with horses and chariots of fire. If you were here last Sunday, you might be wondering if I forgot what I preached on. This is part two. So in this story, the army gathers to arrest, for lack of a better word, arrest the prophet of God, and his servant goes out and sees it and is afraid, and Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. And his eyes, spiritual eyes are open, and he sees horses and chariots of fire and angels all around the city and where they are. And if you want to know how the story turns out, you'll have to go to 2 Kings 6 and finish it yourself. Because the point this morning is that Elisha's prayer was, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw. So obviously, it's not talking about our eyeballs. It's talking about the eyes of our heart or to see spiritual things. Another story we read last week that we won't review the entire thing is the story of Balaam. In Numbers 22, Balaam is a false prophet, a soothsayer, a witch doctor, and uh, he communes with the spirits and he's been paid by the king of Moab to go up on the top of a mountain and curse the camp of Israel while Moses is leading them through the wilderness. And so God sends an angel to kill him on his way up the mountain. And the donkey sees the angel, but Balaam does not. And the donkey goes out in a field because the angel's standing in the road with its sword of fire drawn. He's going to lop off Balaam's head. And the, the donkey goes off in the field to avoid that. And he beats the donkey and gets her back on the road. And, and then she tries to go around the angel uh, over against an orchard stone wall. And it crushes Balaam's foot. And he's angry. And he's going to beat her again. And three times he beats his donkey because she's trying to save his life. But he can't see the angel. God opens the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey speaks to Balaam. Why are you beating me? And he's so angry he doesn't even notice that his donkey is talking. He just answers it and says, if I had a sword in my hand right now, I would kill you. And she says, I'm saving your life. And we come to verse 31 and it says, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord. Obviously, Balaam wasn't physically blind, so we're not talking about a physical healing, a medical healing here that Balaam went from blind to seeing, but spiritually, he didn't see it, and God opened his eyes so that he did. And then in the New Testament, in Luke 24, we've got the afternoon of Jesus' resurrection. On Easter Sunday afternoon, he's walking down the road with two men, one of whom is his uncle, and they've known him for a long time, but they don't recognize him, except because the Bible says their eyes are closed. But they're not physically blind. They see him. 
but their spiritual eyes, the eyes of their heart, don't see that it's Jesus. They walk down the road, they go to a certain town, they go to inn, and they're sitting down to have dinner together, and we come to verse 30. And when Jesus was at the table with them, he took some bread and gave thanks and divided it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. When they saw who he was, he disappeared. Last week we read those entire passages and talked about those stories at length. Jesus in the Gospels tells the Pharisees, and he tells the crowds, and he even tells his disciples, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. So obviously he's not talking about eyeballs and eardrums, because their eyeballs and eardrums worked. Okay, He's talking about the eyes of our heart. So we come to Matthew 13, and this is Jesus said, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. They can see, but they can't. They can hear, but they can't. Nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see, but not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should turn with their hearts, understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. When Jesus tells his disciples, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears for they hear, he's not talking about eyeballs and eardrums. Because everybody in the crowd has eyeballs and eardrums that work, he's saying you are blessed because your spiritual eyes see what the parable means and your ears hear what the parable means. So he's talking about the eyes of their heart, the eyes of their spirit again, and he's saying you see the truth of the gospel, you see the truth of what I'm teaching a lot of people don't. So we have these physical eyes that see physical light and physical objects, and we also have inner eyes that either see or don't see spiritual light. And just as Jesus said, these people, they see and hear, but they don't see and hear, we get a, a clue on what that is in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, the God of this age, that's the devil or Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So when we're talking about blindness in the Bible, Jesus did actual medical, physical miracles, of course, but Jesus' main priority is to open the eyes of our heart and the ears of our heart. And, and his main priority is not, Elisha could see the angels all along, the fire, chariots, and horses around the city, and he, and he prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant, and he did. Jesus isn't mainly concerned that we see angels and demons. That could happen. I believe some of the people who say they can, some of the things I think people are just wanting attention, but I believe that happens, and some people really do see stuff. But that's really not even here what Jesus is talking about. He says, I want to open your eyes so that you understand my word. And Satan has blinded your mind so that you don't understand the gospel. You don't get it. So, yes, a spiritual sight can mean seeing spirits, but mostly it means understanding what we read and knowing Jesus and seeing God in everything the way the people who don't believe in him see him in nothing. We believe in him and see him in everything because we see. I once was blind, but now I see. Come on. So the scripture says that the devil has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So using the phrase, the mind's eye, is biblically correct. Our mind does have eyes. 
and those that don't believe in Jesus, those that have not received the gospel, are blind, and those that have seen the gospel have seen it. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We are commanded to look at the things that are not seen. Well, that is either complete nonsense or it's possible. Look at the things that are unseen. Do you have faith to obey that or is it complete nonsense? I don't know. It's your choice this morning. Where are the eyes that we're looking with? Where is our mind's eye? Where is our spirit's eye? In Ephesians 1, we get this passage. This is Paul praying for the church at Ephesus, but it's the eternal word of God, so he's praying for all of us. And Paul prays this, After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of Jesus' power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we went through all of this last week, but I'm just reviewing real quick for those of you who weren't here. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can go on SoundCloud and listen to the whole thing, and you'll get all the finer details of this. And I'm going a different direction here in just a minute than I did last week. Let's go back and look at, at this phrase, Paul pray. Paul prays that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. The Greek word there that he wrote in his letter for, that gets translated in English, understanding is a difficult one to translate because it can mean several different things. So let's look at how the translation PhD committees um, do this. In the Good News Bible, it says, I ask that the eyes of your mind may be open to see his light. So we've got eyes of understanding and the eyes of our mind. The next one is the NIV says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So the Greek word we'll get to in a minute, is dianoia. It can be translated understanding or mind or heart, that Paul is praying that our heart sees spiritual things. The Bible in basic English says the eyes of your heart, full of light. And then the Passion Translation, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of His calling. So we've got understanding, mind, heart, and now imagination. The word there in the original Greek letter that Paul wrote is dianoia. You can see it in the Greek script and then um, transliterated in English. Dianoia can be translated mind, heart, understanding, or imagination. There are over 20 words in Greek and in the Bible for thinking, learning, logic, mind. There's 20 words that Paul could have chosen about us, our understanding and our thinking, but he picks the only one that means the understanding of our heart, the deepest core thoughts, and it is the only word in the Greek language that can be translated imagination. So there are some commentators and scholars that say every time dianoia is used, it ought to be translated imagination because it's the only one that can be. There are other words we can get for understanding and thought for learning and information 
and logic and so on. So Paul prays that the eyes of our dianoia would receive fotizo, which is light. It's where we get the English word photo. So it could literally be translated, I pray the eyes of your heart or I pray the eyes of your imagination would see light, would see images. So last week, I went in depth on that, that your spiritual eyes are in your dianoia. It's in the imagination, the deepest thoughts of your heart. And that, this, that our imagination in English, that word means pretend. But I showed you last week how not pretend our imagination is. And how in the ancient world and in the Bible, imagination was the deepest concentration. It was the focus of meditation and getting into the presence of God like you get into a good book. Where in, you get into a book so in your focus and concentration you get in so deeply that the rest of the world just sort of dissolves away and you lose track of the room and where you're at in time and you're just, you're in the world of the book. Some of you might experience that in a movie. You lose track of that you're in a movie theater, I'm in the story. And you can do that when you read your Bible. You can do that when you pray. You can do that in worship. You can lose the rest of the room and it's just you and God. And that is concentration, it is focus, it is meditation, it is prayer. It is uh, the world just dissolves away and, and I'm just with God. It's communion. Our imagination is so not pretend that Jesus says we're accountable for what we imagine. We're eternally judged based on whether we imagine sin or not. In the passage where he says if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. So imagining sin is real. Jesus says it's as if you actually did it. That's how not pretend our imagination is. And in Mark 12, Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord, with all your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the word mind that Jesus picked there is dianoia. He had lots of words he could have picked for love him with all your thoughts, love him with all your logic, love him with all your head, <laughs> your understanding. He picked dianoia. Love him with the deepest focus of your the inner thoughts of your heart, which is our imagination. So if you want to hear what I said last week, you can go on SoundCloud on our website. You can go to our Facebook page and you can listen to that message. I, I didn't get done last week with what I wanted to say, but this is not that. The Lord gave me some new stuff this week and told me to preach part two. So um, just to explain it some more. On, on what I mean. September 2003. Um, I'm a school teacher in Elgin. I'm an elder in this church. I went to bed on Saturday night. Sunday morning rolls around like 1.30, 2 a.m. I wake up and I go out to the living room to pray. And the Lord interrupts my prayer and it's like 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning. The Lord says, go to the church. Hmm, okay. I didn't hear anything, and maybe I imagined it, quote-unquote. Hello? <laughs> is that me or is it God? We all have these questions. So my number one, my first order of priority is when I have a thought like that, was that me or was it God? My first thought is, is it safe to do? I'm not going to hurt anybody. I'm not going to mess anything up if I drive into the church at 2 a.m., and it wasn't God. 
If it wasn't God telling me that and it's just my wild imagination while I'm praying, so what? I missed a couple hours sleep. And another criteria I use is if I don't do this, if I talk myself out of it and I just convince myself that it's my imagination, it's not God, I just had a wild thought. Am I going to feel guilty about this? Am I not going to have a clean conscience? Because I know what, it li- what it's like to not have a clean conscience. When I was a school teacher in Elgin, I was at the grocery store, and there's a guy popping cans in the machine for his nickel, and the Lord told me to give him 20 bucks. And I convinced myself that that was just my imagination. I don't need to give him any money, and I drove off. And by the time I got to the edge of town, I would have given him $100 to get rid of the feeling I was feeling. Like I had disobeyed God for 20 bucks. And I turned around, I went back to the store, and he was gone, and I couldn't make it right. And three days later, I'd have given him $1,000 to get rid of that feeling. It was the terror of the Lord, because I convinced myself it was just my imagination, and I didn't obey. So I didn't hear a voice, I didn't see a vision, I just had the thought in my head, go to the church. It's 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So, and I'm not the pastor, but I have a key because I'm an elder. So I, I drove in and I sat here in the dark and I just sat there like, okay, Lord, what do I do now? And he says, go up on the stage. So I went up on the stage and I stood at the podium where I never stood in those days. And I'm standing right there at that podium and, and the Lord says, pray in the spirit. Okay. So again, these are just coming as thoughts. I'm not hearing a voice. You can think I'm insane if you want. It's fine. But, uh, I'm not claiming that I was hallucinating or hearing voices, but I just, I just, just what I am sensing what the Lord wants me to do. I'm just trying to learn along with everybody else. So I began to pray in tongues and maybe 20, maybe 30 minutes. I just prayed in the spirit in here. And then that feeling or that uh, instruction went away. Some people would use unction or anointing or the leading of the spirit, and I'm trying to avoid religious words. I just, I just like it quit. It went away. I'm like, okay, now what? He says, go home and go to bed. <laughs> okay, I'll go home and go to bed. I, I, I don't know if I've made this entire thing up. Did I just waste time being loony, or or did I obey God? I don't know. So go home and go to bed. I did. I, I don't think that I told Sarah when we got up in the morning to come to church. I don't think that I told her what I'd done. I certainly didn't tell anybody else around here. And then, so uh, that Sunday, the preacher is preaching. And while he's talking, there was a man sitting right over here who just blew up. He didn't say anything necessarily, but he got up and it was very obvious. He was very angry. Back through that door, he just blew the door open and stomped to his car and left. That person was so central in the relationship and the functioning of the church that, that, um, it could have been really bad. Instantly, the Lord said, that's why you were here praying this morning. Is that that didn't turn into something worse. I don't know what would have happened if I'd have disobeyed or if I'd have talked myself out of it, but I sure was glad I came. Maybe I just have an overactive imagination or maybe not. I'm telling you this story just to, just to tell you that I'm fumbling forward like everybody else trying to just obey the Lord as best I understand, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Well, Thanksgiving Friday, the day after Thanksgiving 2006, Sarah and the kids were in bed, and I went out to the living room to pray on our 
1976 love seat, orange and brown and wood. You all got that in in your mind now? Um, Didn't have mushrooms on it, but probably almost. And I'm sitting there praying like I tried to do pretty regularly, but nothing was happening. I mean, nothing. I didn't feel it. I didn't think of anything to pray. I couldn't concentrate. I'm like, I'm just going to go to bed. I don't know if I was three minutes or 10 that I tried to get into a a prayer time, but it it was just nothing. I'm just going to go to bed. And when I said that, Jesus walked through my front door and sat on the love seat beside me. I don't mean that I saw anything, but with my mind's eye, with the eyes of my understanding, I saw him and I felt him and he sat next to me on the love seat. And all of a sudden he began to talk to me and it was, stuff was coming so fast. I, I, I'm not going to remember all this. And I jumped up and got a piece of paper and a pen and I started writing. I could not write fast enough. I went from, this is boring, nothing's happening, I'm going to go to sleep, to Jesus is talking to me, and, and it's coming, 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 and I'm writing, and I'm writing, and I still have those papers, two pages back in front, four pages of stuff that I wrote down that he told me. And I say, I didn't pretend this, because it changed me. My mood, my attention, my focus, things I was receiving from the Lord and communing with him, everything changed. I didn't pretend that he walked through the door and sat next to me. If that was possible, I would do that every day. Like, oh yeah, Jesus, I'm going to pretend that you sit next to me and talk to me and it's going to make me feel really good. If you're still skeptical, one of the things I have on that sheet of paper from Thanksgiving 2006, I can pull it out of a file in my office and show it to you. He told me, you will be the next pastor of the church. And that happened in June of 2008. I can't make that happen. I didn't make up that thought. And if I'd imagined it, if I'd pretended it, that I want to be the next, I can't make it happen. Jesus showed up and sat next to me on my left seat. And he told me I was going to be the next pastor of the church. He also showed me something about myself that night. It's also written on that paper, but I've never told anyone. I don't think I've told Sarah even. I'm fairly certain I have never told a soul because it's, it was so intense and so painful and um, scary, <laughs> like what was going to happen when I became the pastor, um, that I didn't tell anybody. What is that, 16 years ago? 2006? I was in Tacoma in July this year, this summer, and three total strangers are praying prophetic prayer over me, and this young wife of this couple describes exactly what I saw that night 16 years ago. She said, this is what the Lord showed me, and I'm like, oh, it wasn't my imagination. It's really true. I'm telling you, your imagination, when you're in the presence of the Lord, what comes into your heart and mind, believe that it's the Lord. I don't mean believe everything that you think and feel, but but believe that it's the Lord. When I think the Lord tells me at 2 a.m. to come to the church, it isn't going to hurt anybody if I'm wrong. I'm not messing anybody's life up. I'm not saying anything to somebody that's going to hurt their feelings or destroy their faith. We need to make sure this is biblical and that it's pure and that it's encouraging um, 
and it isn't going to hurt anybody. And the other criteria that I have besides is this going to be helpful and not hurtful and does it um, line up with scripture and does it, what was the other one I said, oh, am I going to feel, is my conscience going to be bothered if I don't do this? Um, the other criteria is, does it require sacrifice of me? If it does, then that's God. If in your imagination you hear God tell you you should go chew somebody out because that's what you want to do, and God says, yeah, go get them, that ain't God. <laughs> we cannot imagine that God tells me to go you know, do this thing that I want to do. You can't tell your wife, God told me to go buy a new fishing boat. It's probably you pretending. Hello. All right. I'm not saying you can't have a new fishing boat. I'm just, you know, let's just make sure you're not uh, got an agenda or some manipulation. Um, does it require sacrifice of you? Does it require that you have to admit your sin? It's God. It's not your imagination. Does it require you to give money? Does it require you to share the gospel with your waitress or your store checker? It's God. Come on, that ain't the devil. Come on, you're standing at the checkout line at Safeway or Walmart or Dollar Tree or whatever, and you hear this thing inside of you say, tell her God loves her. And you're like, I don't know if I could do that. What if that's my imagination? Hey, it ain't your imagination, and it ain't the devil. To share Jesus with somebody. Do you hear how I think about this? Uh, the, the criteria I'm trying to figure out God. So three years ago, October 2019, Josh and Stacy and Sarah and I are in Portland at our annual conference. We're at our annual conference and a, gospel, a black gospel singer, artist named William McDowell, who's also a pastor in Orlando, Florida, had just released a new album and he's there to sing and to preach. And he sings this song and then the spirit of the Lord dropped into this church. It was amazing. A lot of people were weeping. I got on my knees and I'm, the tears are flowing. It was a moving song. It was a moving moment. Most people were feeling something. It wasn't just my imagination. But the evening went on. He preached a sermon. It was good. I don't remember a word of it, but it was good. And we, we had our refreshments, and we went back to the hotel. And Sarah goes to, immediately goes to sleep, and I can't go to sleep. And 11 comes, and midnight comes, and I'm not asleep. I'm like, i got to hear that song again. Like, it was so powerful of a moment. So I got on my phone, and I bought the song. And I played the song, and the tears come back, and the feeling comes back of what it was that what was there earlier hours earlier in the evening, and and I played the song again, I played the song again, and pretty soon I'm sniffling and I'm uh, and I'm crying, and like I I had to go to the bathroom and shut the door so that I didn't disturb Sarah. No exaggeration, I probably played the song twenty times while I went through an entire roll of toilet paper, blowing my nose and wiping my eyes while I sat on the bathroom, and Jesus is standing right here just loving me. He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't saying anything. It was just love. I felt love like I have never felt before or since. It is top three event of my life, maybe the number one event of my life. I've never felt love like that before or not that long since. At 4.30, my back was hurting from sitting in the bathroom and I was a little bit cold, so I moved back to the bed. I'm still just overcome in the presence of the Lord, and I'm seeing, seeing, okay, the spiritual, I'm seeing Jeing Jesus standing beside me, and, I, and, and I'd have to, I didn't see a vision. 
I'd have to say it's my mind's eye or my imagination, but Jesus was there. I was feeling it. And if this was pretend, I would do this every night on purpose if I could make this up. If it was me, it was not me, it was real. I was receiving his love. I was sniffling so much that I woke Sarah up about 5 o'clock. And she's like, what's wrong? Like, Jesus loves me. <laughs> Jesus loves me. I haven't been asleep yet. I've listened to this song like 20 times and I can't quit crying. And he just loves me so much. And she cried a little bit with me and hugged me and went back to sleep. And I'm still listening. About 5.30 I went to sleep and I had to get up at 7 to go. And, and I, it was just, seriously, it was the best night of my life. Indescribable how much love I felt. And, and he was there standing beside me. And I didn't pretend that. Um, I experienced it. I received it. It was revelation. It was communion. So, last week, I preached what I preached on our dianoia, our imagination, loving God. Focusing, concentrating on his presence and seeing him with spiritual eyes. Um, if you weren't here, go listen to that. It's a little bit different than what you're getting this morning. So we go to home group last Sunday night. We're, we have our meal and we're sitting around we talk. And uh, they, they've talked about my sermon and then, and then we had prayer requests and we began to pray. And people, other people are praying and in my silence as other people are praying, I saw a picture of Kurt um, he's the host of our home group in a stream in waders and fishing waders, and he's in really deep water up to here, and it's about to come over the armpits of his waders and fill his fill his pants. <laughs> um, and he's walking upstream, and he's pushing really hard in the stream in that deep water. It's really pushing him hard, but there is a blindingly glorious light at the at the top of the stream that he is just zero focused on as he's walking, and I know that's God, and the stream is life, and his circumstances, and so on, and he's, and he's going upstream, and life's pushing hard on him, but he's going after God, and, in, and as I looked at this, as other people are praying, and I see this in my mind's eye, I see that he, when he smiles, he can walk a lot easier upstream through the water. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. He was always looking at the light, and he was intent on it, but when he quit trying to push against the stream and just and just was just happy, he just went right through it and made faster progress. So I told him that. I was like, well, this is my chance to obey my own sermon from this morning. Uh, I imagined this, and I'm just going to trust that it's the Lord because it's, it's not bad. It's not discouraging. It's not, I don't know if it'll mean anything to him. I just have to step out in faith and say it. So I said it. He told me later that it meant a lot to him. He knew exactly what it was, and he was, he was glad. So we go on in prayer time, and uh, Rod and Stacy were there, and, and I, then I saw Rod on his farm, and he was not a human, he was a stone, a cubed, cut-shaped stone, and I thought maybe I understood that to be the living stones that were being made into the house of God. I've preached on that a few times before. This is, it was a cut stone like would be in a Middle East stone wall, but he's on his farm, and other things were happening around him, and like, I don't know, is that going to encourage Rod to tell him he's a rock? Uh, and he's just sitting there and these other things are rubbing on him. And, and anyway, I just, I, I don't know. And I almost talked myself out of it. And, but, you know, the prayer time moves on and I'm like, okay, I, I just, I, it's not going to hurt him. I may, I may, I may be, seem like a fool, but, but anyway, I told him and, he, and he's like, 
wow, that's amazing. That's exactly what I needed to hear. You have no idea how perfect that timing was. And Stacy's face is red. She says, my face is red. You have no idea how accurate that was. <laughs> Praise God. And they were so excited and encouraged. And I just need you to know that if God gives you a scripture to share with somebody or, or tells you to call them or visit them with encouragement or, or anything you see or hear in prayer that you think is for somebody, deliver it to them. I've had lots of people tell me things that, like, yes, thank you, that speaks to my situation. And I've had lots of people tell me things like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Sometimes later it makes sense, and other times it doesn't. It never makes sense. I, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just fumble forward. As long as you're not hurting somebody's feelings and, and saying things that are unbiblical, do your best to encourage and love and obey the Lord. Love people and obey the Lord as he tells you to deliver. First Corinthians says when we come together on a Sunday, each one comes with a word. That does not mean everybody gets to preach. What it means is everybody comes with something to say to somebody that's encouraging, that builds us up for edification in life. I was praying and God brought you to mind and I prayed for you for a while this week. Or I was reading my Bible and, and this scripture came to mind and, and I think it's for you. You just deliver that before or after service. Maybe the Lord tells you to get up during service and, and deliver the words of the whole church, but, but maybe not. I don't know. So that was last Sunday night. So Thursday, I'm sending out my daily Bible verse. I actually put some thought into those Bible verses. I have like four pages of, on a Word document on my computer of Bible verses, and then each day I go and I try to sense what, which one the Spirit wants me to send out for that day. Because I have lots of stories of people who tell me, like, that Bible verse you sent out last week, Lee, that was perfect timing, thank you, that was just what I needed to know. Um, so I actually try to sense the Lord. I don't just send the next verse at the top of the list. I, but Thursday morning... I had a verse in mind that I'd seen the day before on my list. Like, oh, I'll send that one out today. And I'm scrolling down, and, and I, I hear, and again, I don't, I don't hear it with my ears. I just hear it. The Lord's like, that's the verse right there. I was, but that wasn't the one I had in mind, Lord. <laughs> I got, this is a really cool verse. I want to send this one. He's like, no, this one today. So I scrolled back up, and I looked at it. And I'm like, okay, I, I, guess, I, I guess that's the Lord. I, you know, this is this. Paul says, we see in a glass darkly, and we know in part. And I'm, we prophesy in part, and I'm just trying to figure this out. Like, okay, that seems like the Spirit wants me to stop there on that verse. So I look at the verse underneath it. Like, oh, that's a really good one, too. I'll send that one out. And it's like, no, I told you this one. <laughs> this is today's verse. Okay, great, fine, I'll send it out. So on the app that I use to send you all your, the group text, um, I can either hit send now, or I can schedule it for later in the day. So a lot of times I'll be doing it early in the morning, but I'll schedule it for nine and later or one of the day. The Lord told me, it's never happened before. He's like, 927. Hmm, okay. Well, I, maybe I imagine that. Or maybe there's a reason why the person that needs this verse is not going to be in their phone till then. Or they need it right then in that moment because of something that's just happened. Or I don't know. Like, well, so it isn't going to hurt anything if I send it at 927 instead of 830. So I'll, I'll do that. I'll obey. So I clicked in the time. And, and as soon as I obeyed, when it was all done and set up to go out, as I did not think this at all until it was done and I had just obeyed. The Lord brought to mind a, a person in the church. He's like, that verse is for her today. Oh, and I know her situation. And I knew how instantly I knew how that verse applied 
I'm like, oh, yes, God, yes, she needed that scripture this morning, right now, for what's coming today. I'm like, wow. It really was God. I didn't imagine it. It really, and, and so I waited and I waited and, and I, the verse went out and, and hours later I texted her and I said, did you see today's Bible verse? And she says, I don't get your Bible verses. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the scheduling deal was for somebody else. I, I don't know. I mean, it's for everybody, obviously. But I said, well, here's, here it is. And I texted it to her directly. And I called her and I, I said, so I said, so I told her, I said, listen, that's verses for you. The Lord told me today, but I want you to know I did not send it out because I thought of it. I did it in obedience to the Lord. And then he reminded me of your situation, what you're facing today. And there was long silence. I thought the call had dropped. And I said, hello, you're still there? And she says, and confirming that it was exactly what she needed to hear and what the Lord had to say. So even in the littlest things, we need to... We need to seek the Lord. So do that. So I talked to you about Dianoia last Sunday, loving God with our the eyes of our heart and our mind. And mine got uh, brutally attacked this week. There were two nights that I could not sleep because of horrendous stuff going on in my mind, in my imagination. And uh, probably people would call it an anxiety attack, but it wasn't me. It was like, it was just, it was bad. Um, so... I don't, when I say this, I don't say that you need to trust your imagination in, in everything that shows up. I, I, this was not God. I should not have been acting on what I was seeing and sensing these two nights this week. I, I was like, there's something really wrong. And I didn't even put it together until last night. Like, this is an attack because of what I preached on Sunday. Like, the devil does not want me training you on how to do this. <laughs> how to receive from the Lord. Um, but two mornings this week, at 2 and 2.30, respectively, I was out in my backyard, halleling. It's like I just had to get out of bed and get my mind on something else. So hallel is the Old Testament word from hallel, yah is hallelujah. And hallel means to spin and jump and praise like you're crazy. And I'm sure I looked crazy. Uh, my, I scared our horse to death. <laughs> It was asleep right behind the tree in our backyard, and I didn't know it. And I, I started jumping around and praising the Lord, and, and that horse went nuts. <laughs> I know I woke him up. Um, but it works. Both mornings, I was able to go back to bed, and my mind had changed, and my mind's on the Lord instead of this dark stuff that was coming in. And, and, and I was able to go to sleep for a couple hours. So I don't mean that we, we trust our imagination and everything and we just do whatever comes to mind. We make sure it's biblical and that it's kind and that it's pure and loving. And those of you who've been around for a long time, you've heard our story of Erin when she was 8 or 10 years old. Were you, Erin, I suppose? I don't know how old. And she comes out after bedtime one night crying and she'd been praying and listening to the Lord and, and, and she had just heard the story of Abraham and Isaac the night before and she comes out crying and she thinks God has told her to sacrifice freedom, her older sister. <laughs> I don't really want to kill her, but I don't want to go to hell because I disobey God. <laughs> it was so sweet and innocent to Sarah and I, but it was really distressing to her. Um, like, no, honey, that's not God. <laughs> God's not telling you to kill your sister. <laughs> It was zero hate. It was all just like, I have to obey God. God told Abraham, so why wouldn't he tell me? 
I'm not telling you, you we, uh, we listen to everything that pops into our imagination and we do everything that just comes into our mind. Just, just don't trust most of what you think. But when you're in the presence of the Lord and it's good and clean and pure and honest, and here's, here's the verse from Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So if you think you're hearing an instruction from the Lord to go do this, or is this vision from God, or is it is the, the bad shrimp tacos that I had a few hours ago at supper, am I just sleepless and my mind is racing, or is this a warning from the Lord? Is this worry, or is this God? Hello? Here's your answer. Whatever is pure... Whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report. Hello? If it is a warning from the Lord, it will be accompanied by faith to obey it, not fear. Hello? If it's fear or selfishness or pride or worry or any of those other things, it's not God. If it's stress and anxiety and depression, it's not God. That is your your fleshly imagination running amok. Or maybe evil spirits talking to you. But if it's pure and just, and then Paul says, whatever you have seen and learned from me, do that. So in all seriousness, if you know your Bible, you know the Apostle Paul. In all seriousness, obey that verse. If you think, is that God or is it me? Ask yourself, is that what Paul would do? That's what he says to do. What you've learned and heard and been taught by me, do that. So ask yourself, if you get an instruction from the Lord, is it good? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it true? Is it biblical? Is it loving? Is it encouraging? And would the Apostle Paul do it? Would the mature Christians that I know and trust, would they do this? And do that. One last scripture. For those of you who still think, I don't hear God. I don't see God. He doesn't talk to me. I don't know how to do this thing that you're describing, Mitch. It's never happened for me. Here we go. From Luke chapter 6, this is Jesus speaking. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove that speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First remove the plank in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. I want to point out what Jesus says about our vision. He's obviously not talking about eyeballs because he says you've got a piece of lumber sticking out of your eye. Worry about that instead of somebody else's little speck in their eye. Of course, he's talking about sin and judging other people, but he isn't talking about our eyeballs. He's talking about our spiritual eyes. Hello? And he says, you do not perceive the plank in your own eye. And then he says, when you yourself do not see the board that is in your own eye, quit worrying about the sliver in somebody else's and get the lumber out of your own. But he says, Jesus says, you can't see it. Think of everybody else. Is it not so totally true that you can see their problems a lot easier than they can? Is it not so totally true that the people you know and have to relate with and try to talk to and get through to that they're blind? To this obvious thing sticking out of their eye. Like it's so obvious. Jesus said you can't see it. So it's true of you too. If you think that's true of your husband, it's true of the wife too. 
If you think it's true of your parents, it's true of the children too. Hello, come on. Jesus said, I don't know why that works that way, but spiritual sight, it is way easier to see something exterior than interior. And Jesus said, you can't see it. So how do we get rid of it? Here's what he says. If you get re- remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly. If you want to see in the kind of seeing I'm talking about, to hear from God and to see him and to see truth in his scripture, to understand the Bible and the parables, as Jesus said, if you want Elisha and Paul's prayers to come true for you, Lord, open their eyes that they might see. Get the lumber out of your eye, which means sin. Hello? We got to remove the sin from our eyes so that we can see. Well, how do we do that if we can't see it? Jesus said, I can't see the plank in my own eye. Jesus says right here, find the one that doesn't have anything in his eye and he can see clearly to get it out of yours. There's only one person in the universe that doesn't have something in his eye. It's Jesus. So when Jesus says, get the plank out of your own eye, and you read what he just said, like, Jesus, you just said I can't see it. How am I supposed to get it out? The answer is to ask him to remove it. You don't have to analyze your life and figure out what you need to get out. Because he just said, you're not going to see it. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'll shine a big old fat spotlight right in there, and I will show you what you need to get rid of. And then we choose to obey we let him remove the plank, and then you will see clearly. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Jesus, we want to see you clearly. We want to turn our eyes toward you so that the world grows dim, that all its priorities and its grasp on us just melts away. We want to get lost in your word and lost in your spirit, lost in our communion with you. As we meditate in the imagination of our heart and we seek you, According to your word, we want to see you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would answer Elisha and Paul's prayer for us. The eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see. Lord, I pray that you would bless our eyes and our ears so that we see and hear, so that we understand your parables, so that we see the light of your gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here whose eyes are darkened, who's not yet seen the light of the gospel, I pray that you would open their eyes that they would see very clearly light and dark, good and evil, Jesus and Satan, and make the right choice. They would see what they've never seen before. Lord, for those who are here who think they're Christian, but they're not living it, who are chasing after the things of the world, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart. They would see very plainly the choice they're making and the road they're heading down, that it's not your path, but it leads to hell. Show them very clearly how to get back on the right road. Lord, I pray Paul's prayer, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Thank you, Jesus, for being the light of the world. Thank you that you have no speck or plank in your eye, and you can clean ours out. 
We say yes, Jesus, to whatever you want to shine a light on. Pull it out. Do some eye surgery on us, Lord. Get it out of there so that we can see clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.